6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 22 and 23. Nobody in, in the Bible is a king and a priest, except Melchizedek by type and Jesus Christ in terms of his office. And you and I are prophesied to be kings and priests because we are in him. And that's a very, very special situation that uh, the Scripture emphasizes just as that, as being quite unique, quite unique. Well, um, I think we got down to verse 7. In back to Jeremiah 23, verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. That's an interesting label. All through the Scripture, we have the Lord, God of Israel, identified as the guy that saved them out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea and all that. Again and again and again, when they're praising God or identifying themselves with him, he's the God who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The Exodus is his, his identity, his, his, his uh, rather theatrical demonstration of who he is, right? It says here, the days will come when that's not going to be the big thing, but rather, verse 8, the Lord liveth who brought up and who led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. Now, is he talking about the return from Babylon? Can't tell yet, but we get the next phrase. And from all countries to which I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. His identity will be bringing them back into Israel out of all the countries. What, a few days ago in the paper, we read the excitement that under Gorbachev, the ratio of Jews that are ex allowed to exit Soviet has increased by tenfold. As part of his, uh, his Glasnost, the whole idea of the liberalization, he's allowing more Jews to return because he believes if he shows um, leniency to, the, to Judaism that the Jewish interest in the United States may also uh, lobby for a relieving of the trade policies with the Soviet Union. And he's very open about that. That's the way he describes that. And that's quite, it's been in the paper. But how interesting it is that whatever technique God uses, he is allowing increasing numbers by a factor of 10 to 1 now. Of Jews. There still aren't large numbers because they were so tightly held before, but the numbers are 10 to 1 larger now. They're like not, not 1,000 a year, but 10,000 a year. That's to give you a rough feeling for the numbers. Are being allowed to emigrate back to Israel. And I read that and it blows me away because I come back here to Jeremiah 8, uh, 23, 8. But the Lord, liveth, the Lord is going to be identified as the Lord who, not, not that brought him out of Egypt. That's old news. But the one that has regathered his people in the land out of all countries, out of the north, even the north country. What's north of Israel? Russia. You betcha. Ezekiel 38 make, identifies Russia that way. He also identifies it by the tribal names, but he also, from the uttermost parts of the north. Don't be confused about their invaders, because all invaders invade Israel from the north, like the Babylonians did too. But from the uttermost part of the north, that refers to the Soviet Union and all of that. And we've been through that. If you haven't get the tapes on Ezekiel 38, you'll have a wall. Um, if you're the kind that worries a lot and doesn't sleep at night, you might want to pass it, because it's awfully close. 
You can either study it in Ezekiel on the tape or just wait a little while. Okay. We're down, we're, we've, we've made it, amazingly enough, to verse 9. I'm apprehensive because I'd like to get to verse 40 before the evening's over because there's lots of exciting things forthcoming. Uh, but that, that'll work out just fine. Anyway, my heart, verse 9, my heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. For the land is full of adulterers, and because of swearing, the land mourneth, and the, pl the pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up, and their course is evil, their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. In my house, that is even in the temple. What Jeremiah is going to be going on with here, and I'll keep reading, but to give you the flavor of it sort of in advance, he is starting to denounce the false prophets. You'll find equivalent passages in Isaiah 28, verses 7 through 13, Ezekiel 13, the first 16 verses, and Micah chapter 3, verses 5 through 12, denouncing the false prophets, old news, but specifically announcing the ruin of the nation because of the false prophets. Why am I emphasizing that? Well, because for, first of all, it's the Word of God, but secondly, that's what's happening in our land. Our land is full of false prophets, giving out false hopes, false doctrine. That is not only injuring the body of Christ, it's bringing about the ruin of our land. So you won't solve America's problems with better defense budgets, or even at the ballot box, in my opinion. It'll be in your prayer closet. The good news is we don't have a Jeremiah forecasting inevitable judgment on this land. There's room in our awareness for repentance and God bringing us a miracle. God is in the miracle business. But it will take a miracle. It's interesting how immorality brings godlessness. We generally think of it the other way around. If someone is godless, he's immoral. It works both ways. Let immorality prevail and godlessness will follow, because that is our way, man's way, of shirking accountability. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Is atheism an intellectual doctrine? No, it's an emotional doctrine to get out from under accountability. That's the appeal of evolution. You have a designer, he implies purpose, and purpose implies accountability. Verse 13, And I have seen the folly in the prophets in Samaria. They have prophesied in Baal and caused my people Israel to err. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of the evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me like Sodom and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold... I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Wormwood. Familiar phrase from the book of Revelation, chapter 9, I believe. And, of course, it's always fun to just drop another little observation that the name wormwood in Russian is Chernobyl. So that's kind of fun. Make something that, if you like, we'll keep moving on. 
Part of what he's talking about here, though, by the way, is the prophets and the priests. They're both. That's the, that's the, that's part of uh, the burden of what they've got here. Prophets are assisted by the priests. In other words, they're working together. Where is judgment going to start? Always has, always will, at the house of God. If you look at the evangelical community and see the attacks and the, and 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 the nonsense that occurs in the headlines of the secular papers about the foolishness that characterizes professional, the professional evangelical community, it's tragic. Tragic because of a lot of people's lives, but even more tragic because of, the, of what it does to the name of the Lord by whom they're called. It's a... Verse 16, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and speak not the mouth of the Lord. They will still, they say still unto those who despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. That's modern psychology. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, just don't feel guilty about it. For who hath stood in... I, always, I hear Christian psychologists, I always think, think that's a, what a, a, what a, on a moronic phrase, right? Self-contradictory. You know, jumbo shrimp. Mil military intelligence, you know. And I shouldn't pick on the psychologist because there's a lot of people that are very sincere that try to apply everything they can to human behavior and help. But, you, but I'm always fascinated how there are some interesting contradictions in, in, in modern psychology that, uh, it does, uh, that denies the absolutes, denies a God that has rules and a God who punishes for those rules and that guilt might have a constructive purpose. But let's get on here. Verse 18. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord is gone forth in fury, and even a grievous whirlwind it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days ye shall consider it perfectly or completely. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. Then, oh boy, before you speak the word of the Lord, be sure it was he that sent you, you know. I always get a kick out of Walter Martin. He, you know, he doesn't have any exception about Joseph Smith and golden plates. He thinks there probably were golden plates and he did translate them. The real question is, from whom were they written, you know? But that's another issue. Uh, verse 22, uh, If they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words... Then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a, and not a God far off? In other words, he's inescapable, what he's really uh, leading up to here. The inescapable God. Psalm 139, in case you doubt that he's inescapable, I call your attention to Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. But we won't take the time now. Verse 24, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Jonah tried that. <laughs> saith the Lord, do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. Hey, you can't get away from him. That's great news. Don't try. Be grateful that no matter where you are, behold, he is there. Praise God for that. Verse 25, I've heard what the prophet said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies, 
Here they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, who think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as the fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. You say you don't worship idols? Anything you put instead of the Lord is an idol. Everything that distracts you from his worship is an idol. It can be hobbies. It can be any obsession. It can be business. I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of probably most of them. Don't let me, the fact that I'm up here in front of you and talk glibly to confuse you. I'm a sinner as worst, as, as bad as they come. But praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood for me, and equally important, the Holy Spirit has been patient with me and caused me to realize a need for a Savior. We're not here because we're free of sin. We're here because he has taken care of that, no matter how serious your sin is. Praise God. But anything that you can substitute for God, it becomes an idol. And I have a, I have a long list. You don't have to have Moloch or Baal or quaint, erudite, bookish names to be an idol worshiper. You know, it can be Ferraris, Porsches. I thought I'd get a crack, but all right. So, stocks, bonds, right, right. But that's exactly right. It can be anything that separates between you and God. And likewise, any of these things can be harmless in a spiritual sense if, in fact, they don't. If they're, if they're not between you and where the Lord would have you and the path he has for growth. But make no mistake, you and I are probably more vulnerable to idol worshiping than the, the, uh, the uh, Israelites were in, 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 Cal, in the Chaldean influence. Because we've got Madison Avenue, we've got TV, we've got cable TV. Think of it. Um, okay. Verse 28, The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Freely receive, freely give, in other words. Okay. Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. I'm reminded of the birds in Matthew 13 that pick the seed that falls on the way. What are those birds? Birds are Satan's ministers. They show up in a later parable. In Matthew 13, the famous um, eight, uh, seven kingdom parables. False prophets not only deceive, they steal his word, in effect, every one from his neighbor. Verse 31, Behold, I'm against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues to say, and say, He saith. It's their tongues, but attributed to the Lord. Dangerous stuff. Behold, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, saith the Lord, than to tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their instability. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. Now, no matter how enticing the words, if the Lord hasn't sent them and authored it, they're dangerous, they're deceptive. There are lots of men who have enticing, interesting advice and encouragement under the Christian banner. The, the Lord, If the Lord didn't send them, then it's dangerous. They shall not, pro shall not profit this people at all, saith the Lord. Verse 33, And when this people, or the prophet, or a priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say to them, What burden? I will even forsake you, saith the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who shall say the burden of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Now, by the way, in the Hebrew here, there's a pun because the word masa means oracle. 
like a prophet. And the word pronounced with a different accent means to lift up like a burden. So the word burden and oracle in the Hebrew are, are what's the term? Uh, they sound similar. It, uh, homonyms, homonyms, or whatever. Anyway, they sound they, they sound the same, but they mean different. And so, um, but that's we obviously lost on us. But I just mentioned as a side. Verse thirty-four. As for the prophet and the priest, the people who shall say the burden of the Lord, I will punish. I I will even punish that man and his house. Thus shall ye say, every one to his neighbor and every one to his brother, What hath the Lord answered? And what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall he mention no more. For every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Every man's word shall be his burden. Be glad it's late in the hour, and I won't give you a whole discourse on Ziff's law. But there's a lexicographer by the name of Ziff, C-I-P-F, who discovered that in our language it follows mathematical laws. Have you ever noticed that if you're in a language, if you start talking about some technology, you quickly get a shortcut word for it? You know, um, and there's lots of examples in our language as you get to certain in phrases. You know, you no longer call a personal computer, it's a PC. Well, if you study language, there's mathematical laws when that happens. If you take a corpus of text or word spoken and rank order the word that appears most frequently, how often it appears, the one that appears second frequently, how often, it turns out the, the rank order times the frequency it occurs is a constant. The second word is appears half as, you know, it, 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 it's a mathematical formula. That formula is called Ziff's Law. But what's amazing is it also turns out that if you depart from Ziff's law, it's less efficient communication. And you and I wouldn't think of the fact that while we're talking and while we get jargon or, or slang, that we're behaving absolutely efficiently. We intrinsically do that, you see. So every man's word is his burden, and I could get into a whole other thing, but as an aside, it's interesting how that happens and how the Scripture also follows that laws and yet deviates from that when there's a special piece of information, and that's a whole other thing. And I think I've told you that the Bible, 66 books written by 40 guys over thousands of years, is a designed message system. And that message system is not only integrated in terms of theme, style, and all kinds of technicalities, including the numerical value of the words, it also is designed as you would design it if you were trying to avoid jamming. If you're a communications engineer designing this for message transfer during over a channel that you anticipate an enemy trying to jam it, you do a number of things. One thing you do is you spread the message across the available bandwidth. And that's exactly what Isaiah says, here a little, there a little, line upon line, have I established my truth. Here a little, there a little. And it turns out if you do anything different than that, it's too easy to jam because you can block out part of the message. If you take all the ideas and uniformly distribute them in the, in, in the available channel, it's harder to jam. That's why there is not a chapter on baptism or on salvation. Those main ideas are diffused throughout the Scripture so that the enemy can't jam them. What's fascinating, though, the more you study the Scripture, not only do you discover it's been designed and skillfully engineered, despite the fact there's 40 guys over thousands of years that penned it, but that its origin had to be outside the time domain, and it's been intricately designed to exploit the most advanced communication theory that recent technology has made us aware of. So it's kind of fascinating. But let's, I'm moving on. Let's verse 37. Thus... Thou, shalt thou say to the prophet, What hath the Lord answered thee, and what hath the Lord spoken? But since ye say the burden of the Lord, therefore thus saith the Lord, because ye say this word, the burden of the Lord, and I have sent unto you, saying, Ye shall not say the burden of the Lord, therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you, 
and will forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and cast you out of my presence, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Now, if you guys are going to be forgotten, your shame won't be. And it's recorded. Where are their names? What are the names of these false prophets? They've been forgotten. Had you? Interesting. And the shame has not been. So, um, okay, we're going to talk next time because we're running out of time now about the figs. You'll discover that none other than Jesus Christ spoke of a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard. What a strange place for a fig tree. Who is the fig tree? Judah. What's the vineyard? Israel. And we're going to talk about that next time. There's two kinds of figs the good guys and the bad guys. The good guys are those that submit and go into captivity under Nebuchadnezzar. Strange. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. That phrase is used of Nebuchadnezzar as God's servant and is also used of Cyrus, and we will touch upon that next time. Um, the guys that are the bad guys, the bad figures, the ones that try to fight all this and they get, they get wiped out and forgotten and all that kind of stuff. Now, we'll get through chapter 24 as a short chapter. Next time, I'm pretty sure we'll get into chapter 25. That's got all kinds of interesting things, not the least of which is this idea of Nebuchadnezzar being the servant of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar is a very, very interesting guy. We'll talk a little bit about that. But one of the most interesting chapters of, uh, will be verses in the entire Bible, with chapter 25, verses 11 and 12, which prophesies the duration of the Babylon captivity. You shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years, Jeremiah says. And it shall come to pass 70 years shall be accomplished that I'll punish the king of Babylon and you turn you guys, bring you guys back and so on. Great. 70 years. Why 70 years? We're going to talk about that next time. We're going to take a look at Leviticus and so forth, the sabbatical year, why 70 years, what that means, and what it has to do with you and I. We're going to discover, we'll talk a little bit, and we'll go into great detail about the 70th week, the 70 week prophecy of, of Daniel. We'll talk about the fact that there's four 490-year periods in the history of Israel, each one not contiguous with interruptions. And uh, we are in the fourth of those, which will be climaxed by none other than the, than the appearance on the horizon of the Antichrist. And why it is, then, that I believe the rapture of the church will have to occur before the 70th week of Daniel can start. Because the 70th week of Daniel will focus on Israel in a sense that's exclusive from its dealings with the church. We'll talk a little bit about that next time. It all hangs up in the 70 years. One of the other things we're going to learn is how Daniel read this book. Because a famous chapter that has a 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's doing what? What gives rise to Gabriel coming and saying, by the way, Jesus is going to come 173,808 days from this and all that. What gave rise? Daniel was reading Jeremiah, this verse. I understood from the brains of Jeremiah that there was 70 years. What's, what we're going to discover is every time somebody in the Scripture is reading the Scripture, he's taking it literally. And some of these bizarre notions that we cling to because we take the Bible literally are sound biblically. Why? Because we're continually taught that when God says here 70 years, it's not figurative or approximate or an idiom for some length of time. It's 70 years. How much? To the very day the very day. And as we understand that, we're going to discover that God established the state of Israel on May 14th of 1948, the very day that I believe very well may have been prophesied. I'll share, share that with you. And when uh, the Six-Day War lets Jerusalem uh, fall back under the uh, Star of David, 
that that is, that is in June of 67, which again is a prophecy to the very day, and we'll talk about that. Very, very interesting stuff. But uh, that all will be a good springboard when we get into chapter 25 and, and talk about the 70 years and all of that. And you will find the 70 years also come up in chapter 29 again and so forth. Um, the concept of the sabbatical year, the fact that God has made rules and he takes them very literally. And, uh, and uh, what, what all that has to do with you and I, uh, even though we're not in Israel and we're not Jewish, we're, well, we're Jewish by being grafted in. Um, and uh, praise God. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. God, the same yesterday, today, and forever, he spoke to Jeremiah to a nation and announced coming judgment. Uh, he's speaking to you and I personally and perhaps corporately, collectively, in the national sense. It's really exciting that there's no way, no place you can go to get to be away from the Lord. He's wherever you are, and he will meet you wherever you are um, in need and uh, in every other dimension. And uh, praise God for that. And what he would have us all do tonight in hearing his word is to be conscious of the fact that he is who he is, he is where he is, and above all, he cares. He really cares. He designed us. He put us here. He brought you here tonight for this very moment, not by accident. Coincidence is not a kosher word. There are no accidents in God's kingdom. You're here in the sound of this voice right now tonight because he has a purpose in your life. It may be to make a commitment in the privacy of your own will to Jesus Christ. Or it may be, having made that commitment, to galvanize it into fruitful action on his behalf, to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, to be sensitive to some mission, some leading that he has for you, so that indeed you might be called and not charging off with the burden of the Lord, which isn't what he said. So let the Lord speak to you through Jeremiah. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.